Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. The truth is, is I've been gone for a few days, and I got to tell you, because I haven't had the chance to tell you this in a while, but man, I love my church. I missed you guys. We live in such a fast-paced life around here that being gone for a few days feels like you've been out of touch for a few months. But I did have the privilege of watching an incredible service that you guys got to participate live in on Sunday. A shave and two bulls. It cut me. Man, I want to testify. I want to give testimony of what an incredible message, a shave and two bulls, and what it did for us as we were driving back in the vehicle on Monday. Driving home from Louisiana, we laughed. We cried. We were moved in our very souls by what went on. I mean, God's word was getting down into every part of our lives. I mean, like deep down into every little crevice, every little crevasse, every little nook and cranny and crag that was there. I mean, the word of God through that message was like Psalm 19 says, it was more precious than gold, much than more pure gold, sweeter than honey from the comb. Man, it was ministering to our souls. I mean, we may have uh, written separately, but, uh, but that was an incredible time for us as we were listening to the sermon. Pastor, I can testify that word got into every crevasse, every single one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. One of the things we learned from this lesson as we read this scripture is saying, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. The Lord is looking for us to give out of a willing heart based on what we have, not what we do not have. Was that revelatory for you? Oh, yeah. I'm talking about it, it stressed it out and, and got some things that I couldn't get to. I'm going to just say it like that. It, it was shaving. <laughs> Offerings that are obligatory, things that I, I must do to be a, a good Christian. These are not the things that are acceptable by our good father. It is the willingness that makes them acceptable and pleasing because they are a reflection of your love for the Father as you are drawing near to him, not your fear of punishment. Come on. Amen. That's a good word. Think about the widow's might in Mark 12. says that she gave the little that she had, and that was worth more than the coffers of all the world because God saw her willingness. When you give exactly what you have and not what you don't have, but you give up all that you have. That is what pleases the Father. Amen. Therefore, the willingness that we are talking about tonight, I'm not asking you to put in more work, to, to try harder, to stay later at the gym, like we, went to, like we did that kind of thing. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm not asking you to strive more, but based on your love for the Lord, that he is causing to, to rise up in you, to grow in you. Or we're going to demand of you and ask of you, as your father is, is that your love rise and your faith rise in what he's able to do. Amen. Your willingness will increase to the point where your initial reaction to circumstances is one that is eager, that is willing, that is of a free will kind of nature. A total, a whole burnt offering. Come on, did y'all get that? The initial response. Yeah. Not, not 
three days from now, not three weeks from now, but the initial response I need is it, exactly what God wants it to be, which is full of joy. Amen. I'm not talking about from a, a fear of failure, a fear of the surprise of a correction. Oh, man, I, I'm willing to do it because the last time I didn't, I got my butt handed to me. I mean, I got waylaid, so I'm willing to do it. That's not what we're talking about. That's not willingness. That's entrapment. And our God is not a God that entraps. He calls us near. He draws us into the willingness of being sacrifices. That's coercion. That's being motivated by fear. Even as we say, we're willing. That's not what we want right now. The problem is not what we don't have. The problem is not the growth that we don't see. What it is, is that we don't give fully, I mean joyfully, willingly of what we do have. And that is what our fathers after tonight. Amen. Come on, aren't you glad that God is dealing with this church? Yes. That God is speaking to us, that he's calling us and drawing us close. And he's saying, you don't have to worry about what you don't have. You have to give from what you have been given. You have to give from what he has already given to you. Man, that should take away our fear of failure. See, one of the benefits that I have is that this is my home. Yeah. This is my home church. You guys are like family to me, so I don't even need to take the time to ask you if there's anybody in this house who walks around with a constant fear of failure. See, what I do know is that God is speaking to us and he's drawing us close so that we can overcome those things. I don't know if you caught what Justin said because it was really, really good. The idea that you're going to do something now because you're afraid of the potential of punishment later on. That's not the kind of God that we serve. That's not what he's requiring of us. That's not what he's asking from us. He's asking us to set those things aside. Let's look at John chapter 10. Everybody turn to John chapter 10. Because tonight, everybody say tonight. There are going to be people in this room that get over their fear of failure. There are going to be people that understand how to walk away from that and not worry about a surprise correction later on. We're actually going to learn how to do this the right way, y'all. Take a look at John chapter 10. Pastor, Come you're on blowing now. my mind right now. Come on. John 10, and let's look at verse 14. It says this. This is uh, Jesus speaking in case you uh, don't have the red letter edition in your Bible. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And you know what a good shepherd always does? Lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock. Somebody say one flock. One flock. And one shepherd. Say one shepherd. One Man, I love the unity that Jesus is speaking about here. It has so many implications. You can start with the nation of Israel and you can move out from there. But it's beautiful. Now, before I go to the next verse, don't look down at your Bible. Look up at me because I got a real question. I want to engage with you for a second. I mean, I was gone for like four whole days. I, I miss you guys. It was like a year. That's what it felt like. In the next verse, Jesus is going to give us the reason that his father loves him. Don't look. I mean, you guys are Bible scholars. But, but don't look and cheat right now because we're going to get to it in just a second. Can you imagine? Jesus is about to tell you the reason that the Father loves him. What would you fill in the blank there? The Father loves me because, this is Jesus speaking, because, because he's obedient. That's an excellent answer. It's not right, but it's an excellent answer. 
The Father loves me because? Because I'm his son. I mean, because, man, there's some good answers that I'm hearing here. I try really hard. Look at verse 17 with me in John 10. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. <laughs> Come on now, put that in your theological pipe and smoke it for just a second. The reason that my father loves me is because I lay down my life. I have a willingness, I have a joyfulness that I'm going to lay it down only to take it up again. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me. There's no amount of coercion. There's not a mandatory, obligatory possibility here because no one can take my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Man, you want to have the Father love you? You start doing exactly what Jesus did. Look as he continues. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command. Somebody say command. command. I receive from my Father. See, the reason the Father loves Jesus, according to his own words, is that he lays his life down. Not out of compulsion. Not out of obligation. Not out of duty but out of a free will offering, out of a joyful willingness that Jesus Christ laid his life down because he was willing to do so. Can you imagine what that's like? See, Jesus was commanded. This command I received from my father. It wasn't a suggestion and it wasn't self-determined by Jesus. Come on now, it's one thing to have a free will, a, a, a joyful willingness in your offering. What Jesus is doing here is not just laying down an offering. He is laying down an offering in accordance with God's will. He is laying down the right sacrifice. In other words, you and I can't take time and forecast what you think the Father wants you to lay down. That's not actually willingness. That's you determining what you're willing to lay down, not a full free will love offering unto the Lord. What does this look like? This looks like our children who are being obedient as long as they like the direction that you're showing them. They're, they're completely compliant as long as they get to do what they want to do. How about wives following their husbands? We follow, I'm a good follower until I don't agree, until I don't think my husband has thought through the situation enough and can understand it enough. Then we see the willingness when we disagree there. How about husbands who lead until it gets really, really difficult? And by really difficult, I mean like, you know, an eyelash breaks or something. What about disciples who were all in, all for it until correction is applied? Then we start to squirm, make up what we think a, a disciple or an elder or a pastor wants to hear. How about this? In case I haven't hit you yet, I'm really trying. I'm trying to get everybody in the room. Everybody. Everybody up in this place. How about any of us the moment that we get to really, really difficult circumstances? Hey, Lord, I'm going to give a willing offering. Hey, I'm so joyful to do so. Ouch, that really hurts. I don't think I want to do that anymore. That immediate joyfulness that we were just talking about is gone. It has fled. It is not here anymore. And that willingness that I have now, I'm having to kind of um, work my way into it. 
If you're working your way into it, then you're missing the joyful willingness that God actually wants you to operate in. See, we are going to get it right in this house tonight. We are going to get it right. We're not just going to say it. We're going to live it. We're not just going to proclaim it. We're going to be it tonight because God is at work here in our midst. Come on. Talking about getting it right. Let's go to John 13, starting in verse 36. We have a, a big brother in scripture that's going to be an example for us and show us how to get it right. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where am I going? Where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? <laughs> Lord, we got, we, got, we, got, we got some things to get to. Let's go ahead and like, uh, let's get this process going. Make it expedient. Why can't I follow you now, Peter says. I will lay down my life for you. See, Peter is attempting to uh, self-determine the sacrifice here. He's willing. He's willing to sacrifice. I mean, Lord, you told us that it was going to be difficult. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I believe that you're Messiah. But Peter's a little bit ahead of the game here. Jesus knows exactly what Peter needs for his refinement. So he goes on to say, then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, you can hear that and say that, man, that Peter. That Peter screwed it up again. How many times, how many times have God spoken to, to you a direction, to me a direction, something that will happen? But I attempt to make it happen in my own strength. Too many times. Yeah, more, like above average, like the opposite of, of passing. <laughs> That's the razor. But let's, because the story didn't stop here, because you're Bible scholars, you know that Peter is a man that, that didn't fear the razor. Peter pressed into it because of his love for Jesus. And Jesus doesn't accommodate him here. Instead, he applies the razor and sets Peter up for the transformation that is coming. Do you look forward to that transformation that's coming? It's only one way to get it, baby. And that, and that is something that we should be willing to go headlong into. And that's what we're learning how to do. God determined Peter's sacrifice, not Peter. See, this idea of Peter asking Jesus, why can't I follow you now? Why, why can't I do this? I think this is a good idea. Why don't you let me do this now? I mean, at least that's just Peter, right? That's all, that's all of us most of the time. Yeah. Lord, I think that I've got this figured out. Let me go ahead and do this now. I did this this week. <laughs> I, I did it today. I mean, this is, I'm trying to be real with us here and understand. Jesus, can you imagine Jesus saying this to you? Will you really lay down your life for me? By the way, the answer to that is eventually, yes. 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 There was a willingness that was there, but it had to be a joyful willingness, and the Lord was working it out in Peter. Peter had a lot more growth, a lot more transformation that he was needed, and he didn't understand that, and Jesus is setting him right because Jesus knows exactly what we need, and he knows exactly how to get out of us what we should be. Yeah. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, take a look at verse 7. Say willing when you get there. Man, if you can't tell, that's what moved Justin's heart. That's what moved my heart listening to the sermon from Sunday. His a willingness. Man, at least 
What I know to be true is that you can't just hear it once and now you're as willing as you're supposed to be. What I know is that I'm, I'm looking into the word. I'm going, Lord, <laughs> I want to be, I need to be more willing in my life. I need to have you moving in me in a more profound way. Lord, I want to be willing and joyfully willing, and I want to be immediately joyfully willing. See, that's what he's working on us in this house to do. Look at Matthew 10 and verse 7. It says this, as you go. It's not a question of if you're going to go. It's not a question of if you should go. As you go, proclaim this message. Somebody say this message. This message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Come on. Y'all falling asleep on me? No. Listen to the message that Jesus is proclaiming. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. You ready for this? Freely you have received, freely give. Willingly, joyfully give because you have received so much. This is Jesus sending out the 12 to the, to the tribes of Israel, to the lost sheep of Israel. We can learn from our older Bloodline, natural brother Israel, by seeing and watching what Jesus is doing. He says, go out and heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the left. Drive out those demons. Come on, that's an exciting day. And Jesus is saying, keep doing that. What has Jesus done? What has God done in you? What has he freely given to you, LCM? Has he maximized any marriages in this house this year? Man, he is perfecting our parenting. He's multiplying our ministries. I'm looking at men who are becoming every bit of the pastoral call that God has on them. I'm watching men develop in their calling. I'm watching it happen. We're training up ministers in this house. Amen. You've been freely given a lot. Yeah. You've been, I've been freely given so much. And freely I have received. Therefore, that sets the parameter for how I'm supposed to give. Yes. I have been given abundantly is what I've received. Therefore, I cannot hold anything back if I'm going to fulfill this verse. I can't have a valve. I can't have a limiter. I can't have a compressor. I've got to have exactly the same type that I'm receiving must be the way that I give. Amen. Come on now. This is not a kind of place where you're limited to what you've received. This is life changing ministries. My life has been changed by this ministry. Yeah. My family, Justin's life, and most of you in this room have been. Can somebody say amen? amen? Therefore, therefore, because of what God has freely, joyfully, abundantly, exceedingly abundantly given to us, you have the privilege, you have the right you have the honor to freely, joyfully, willingly give everything that he's given to you and pour it out. And listen to this. Every time that he asks it of you. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. We've been given something. And I'm, learning, I'm, I'm starting to learn, starting to realize once you really grasp like what you have, once you really grasp how, how golden this way of life is, how precious the word of God is and how powerful it is in our lives. I'm looking at people who have literally had their lives transformed by the gospel, transformed by the word of God. We've seen children come that shouldn't have came. 
We've seen literally dead bodies be healed. We've seen so much. And of that, only what we've been given. God says, hey, you get to give of that to the world. What do you, what do you not have? We have everything we need. This is what it means. You give of what you have. And you do it willingly. As I'm grasping exactly what I have. Exactly what the Lord has done in my life. It's inspiring me. Not because I must. Not because if I don't, I'm not going to be a good steward. It's inspiring me because what I have, it works. What I have is golden. And I get to give that to everybody who needs it. And so do you. Speaking of that, the title of this message, be willing with what you have. That's Bashat. Let's turn to Acts 3. So we're talking about Peter before, and we kind of, you know, we talked about how Peter was uh, self-determining, like most good disciples do early on. In John 13, he may have done that. And because you know Peter is a disciple that doesn't fear the razor, he was shaved. He was transformed. And he learned to freely give what he had been given. And we see this transformation at work in Acts 3. You see it in Peter, and you see it flowing through Peter to other men. Acts 3 verse 6 says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Peter and John had received so freely from Jesus. They had been lavished. Here you see that they are not trying to give what they don't have. They're not worrying about uh, what they don't have to give. They only give of what they have. And what they have is exactly what is needed. What keeps us from giving though? What keeps us from giving what we have? We forget that it was freely given to us. I didn't get here by my own godliness. I was not born again because I really, really wanted to. God drew me. You didn't get here because you were really seeking the Lord. God brought you here. Then he transformed you. Then he began to sanctify you and he is still doing that work. And from the very moment he did that, you had everything you need. You needed. So my life, my, my literal life is a gift. So when it's time to give it, how can I hold it back? You can't. And it's not just a, a one time, like time to give it on a mission field. Time to give it, getting my head chopped off. And we'll do that too. What about when he calls, he causes me to give over my life today, tomorrow, to my wife, to my job, to my children, to the next person he puts before me. What keeps me from giving of my life is that I forget that it was freely given. I didn't earn it. I didn't choose where I was born. I didn't choose when I was born. He chose me. He brought me here. He appointed me for this task, and he's done the same for you. Amen. What about a calling? Did you generate your calling because of how charismatic you were, how likable you were, how diligent you were? No. Your calling was given to you by God. A mezuzah is given by God. So we didn't cause on you to use it. How can we withhold it from the next person? We can't. We can't. Because it was a gift. Freely you have received, freely gift. My placement in the body or my station in life, it is a gift. Yeah. Can I hear amen from my singles? Amen. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was weak. Your station is a gift. And recognizing this, that it's a gift, it's a whole lot better than trying to protect what you have. Yeah. Trying to play, play goalkeeper. 
I'm going to keep away anything that challenges what I have. You know what? We're learning to do what the Lord is doing in us, teaching us to freely give that which we've been given. When you recognize that what you have is a gift, you give without reservation, without holding back. We're talking about unstopping wells of salvation in this place. This is the epitome of 2 Corinthians 8. A willing sacrifice based on what you do have is acceptable to God. How many want to be acceptable to God? Give everything that you have. Come on, church. This should be bringing your soul to life. I I know there were things that we heard on Sunday, but it moved us, and we wanted to come back and revisit it. The idea that you cannot worry about what you don't have. That's not even your prerogative. That's not even something that you should concern your pretty little head about. What you have to do is give willingly and joyfully from what you do have. Oh, but pastor, I've given all. You're still here. You hadn't given all yet. And no matter what he's requesting of you, you go, thank you, Lord. It wasn't mine anyway. I'm just giving back to you what is rightfully yours. That's what it looks like for us to exalt the Lord and to give joyfully and willingly. Let's look, look at verse 11 in Acts 3. Let's look at verse 11. It says this, while the man held on to Peter and John. Come on. Now we skipped a few verses for time's sake, but the man got healed. Yeah. Peter and John grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up. And not only did he experience the miracle that he could now walk He experienced the miracle that his ankles, that his feet, that his legs grew strong. The atrophy was gone because when they stood up, he had two miracles. One that he could now stand and the other one is that he was strong in his standing. While the man held on to Peter and John. He wasn't holding on because he needed help standing. (laughs) Well, brother, I'm just trying to hold on just trying to, I mean, today's been kind of tough. I'm, I'm just barely making it. it. Barely meddling. He is holding on going, ah, 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 I could, da- I could stand now. I'm leaping and jumping Come and on. rejoicing. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Hey pastor, I, I, I bet that when he got up, he wasn't like, oh man, I got to walk now. I'm tired. Like when you first get a car, like, oh, I got a car. Dang, now I got to put gas in it. Shoot, I, gotta, I can get where I need to go. I'm sure he wasn't like that. It was a joyful rejoicing. I can move. We can go to the temple of the Lord. Into Solomon's colonnade, verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? That seems like that should be kind of a rhetorical question, right? I mean, the guy who had been brought there to the gate called beautiful every day for who knows how long, for the entirety of his life, is now standing and jumping and leaping and praising God and holding on to Peter and John. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Don't you think that healing would be surprising? It's not surprising if you are learning to freely give what you have freely received. Listen to me. This church has experienced all kinds of miracles. 
and we're not done by any amount. There's going to be more healings in this building, in this room, in your homes than you can even shake a stick at. And you shouldn't be surprised when it happens. You know why? Because we are learning to be willing and joyfully willing right now. And when you live like that, you just continually give what you've received. See, I love the phrase that Peter has here. Why are you staring at us as if by our power or our godliness, we made this man walk? Well, wasn't it them that reached out? Yes, it was. But what they knew is that they were simply, wholeheartedly, joyfully giving from what they had received, and God must have accepted their offer. They were giving from what they had, and it was a pleasing offering to God, and he brought healing to this once crippled man. You can't even call him a crippled man, because he's now walking and leaping. See, the truth is, is we only have what he's given us anyway. <laughs> when we freely give of what you have, not of what you don't have. I'm just going to keep saying that because I need to hear it. It's not about what you don't have. It's what God has already given you of what you freely received. The process begins to not only work in an individual like Peter or an individual like John or an individual like this man who was once crippled. This process works in everyone, everywhere. It works for all people. Turn with us to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to get to joyful willingness in this house. The Lord is producing that in us right now. But who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. It's a serious question that David has. Everything comes from you. David's realizing that his life is not his own. That his resources, they're not his. Even the people's. Nothing that they have, did they self-generate. Everything has been given by the Lord. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only, only what comes from your hand. Anything that he asked for was a gift to you. He, he willingly gives you salvation, and then he asks of you to do the same for somebody else. What you are giving was given to you. Now he's teaching them. He goes from asking of a, asking of a gift from them, and now he's teaching them to joyfully give that gift. They're getting double gifts, y'all. Talking about a two-pack. Everything comes to you, and we are only able to give what you have given us. Verse 15 says this, We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Oh, Lord, our God, as for all this abundance. Somebody say, all this abundance. All this abundance. Come on now. That should be the way that you feel about your life. Yeah. Yes. That's the way that you should feel about your life. All this abundance. Wow. Did, did you hear the wheels turning in everybody's head just then? Well, pastor, I don't. Did you start to think in your own mind of the things that you don't have? Of the gifts that you haven't received? Instead of realizing the abundance of what you do have? Oh, Lord, our God, as for all of this abundance. That we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name. It comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. 
You may have put it in my hand, but it still belongs to you. Lord, I mean, can you hear the thankfulness that's exuding here? Yeah. I mean, that's, King David is the kind of man that I want to be around. Yeah. Matter of fact, this kind of yeah. joyful, willing sacrifice is what's built this church and what is building the house of God here. Amen. Let me say it a different way in case you missed that. This kind of joyful willingness builds the house of God. You can trace this out to the tabernacle. And when in Moses' day they were bringing offerings, you could trace it to David's day who were collecting offerings so that Solomon can build the temple. You can trace it to the days where Zerubbabel's temple is being built and people are bringing the same kind of offerings. This kind of giving, this kind of free will giving of your life, a joyful willingness is actually what builds the house of God. Look at verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Man, I think I heard on Sunday that God is never pleased with forced or obligatory offerings. I mean, I think I learned that from my brothers on Sunday. He's, the Lord is not pleased when you're offering something because you have to. It's not just learning to say the right things for the men and the women in this room. It is learning to be what God is making you into. It's learning to have a joyful willingness that allows him to transform you. Man, it's got to be more than just these things. Why? Because God is pleased with integrity. Y'all with me tonight? The idea of just saying something because you want someone else to think you're holy. Saying something because you want someone else to value you as a real man of God. So you're saying things that don't have any integrity to them at all. That's actually the low hanging fruit. See, unless you develop this within you, you're missing the fact of how to please the Lord. By the way, this is not just a singular person here. In this passage, who is, who are we speaking about who are giving will, willingly and joyfully? All, All Israel. of Israel. It's a whole group of people. It's not just for a singular person. It's for the entirety of the group. See, if you're going to be part of a priesthood, if you're going to be part of the people of God, you have to be defined by a joyful willingness. You can never be moved by begrudging compliance. This is not just a singular man. It's not only the priesthood. It's the entirety of the group of people. It's the entirety of God's people, Israel. Come on, that's exactly what we're building here at LCM. That's what you're a part of. You get to see it and be a part of an entire group. Not just single people, but an entire group who are giving honor to the Lord and pleasing him in every way. Verse 18. O oh Lord. God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever. And that, that is David. That is David uh, laying a request before the father to keep this, keep this heart in his people. That word keep there, what do you think that word keep is? Shamar, guard it. <clears throat> this desire for joyful willingness in us forever. David is crying out to the Lord for his perpetuity for his generation saying lord keep this desire in them forever to joyfully willingly with a free will kind of offering give to you like this all the time 
This has come all the way to us. The word is the same. To have this, this desire in our hearts to joyfully, willingly serve the Lord. Amen. Joyfully, willingly give of our lives. Not because we have to, but, but because he is good. Amen. Yeah. We meditate on how good he is. Yeah. That will inspire us to joyfully, willingly give of whatever it calls in the moment. Yeah. Lord, help us. <laughs> help me. We miss it sometimes. We don't always recognize it when the adversity hit. I mean, the immediate response is not always what I would like it to be. Which is why David is praying, Lord, Shamar, Lord, will you guard it in your people? And you know what? He's able. He's able to do that in us. Amen. We have to cause our faith to rise in what he is able to do. Not based on what we don't have, based on what he has freely given us. It kind of reminds me of a son of David who prayed for his own disciples. Lord, keep them in the midst of difficulty. Keep them in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. Keep them, Lord. He can do it in us, church. He can guard this willing and joyful nature that he is putting inside us. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, decrees, and to do everything to build this palatial structure for which I have provided. The truth is that every generation must seek the Lord and serve with a willing and joyful heart. But we have a benefit that we get to learn from the genera generation previous. Wholehearted devotion sounds a lot like giving him a heart that is willing, yeah. a heart that is joyfully going to shepherd his people Israel. Yeah. What else can this joyful willingness be that he's talking about here? See, these verses that we're just reading in Chronicles are followed immediately by the second acknowledgement of Solomon as king. They're, they're reaffirming that Solomon is going to be king. I want us to turn to second, I mean, I'm sorry, first Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three. And we're gonna take a look at just a little bit something else that, that I hope will be a blessing to you about Solomon. First Kings, first Kings three. We're gonna start in verse five. <clears throat> at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. Everybody say, in a dream. In a dream. Everything that you're going to read from here on out in the verses that I've selected is in a dream. Okay? And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered. Now, before we read Solomon's answer, what would your answer have been? The there's a reason that this is in a dream. There's a reason that what this story is recorded, and it's because Solomon is in a dream. All the other pretense, it's gone. There's no desire for public display. This is inside a man's heart, and God is speaking to him in a dream. And God says, ask for me whatever you want. And listen to Solomon's response. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. <laughs> because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. This is Solomon. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child and don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you have chosen. 
Man, think about the centrality, the dependence of the word of God on the people of Israel. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? As I was pondering this today, or yesterday, actually, this passage, I got to tell you that this passage is very meaningful to me. I have to tell you that I have prayed this specific passage and this specific verse that's on your screen many, many times. Lord, give your servant a discerning heart to govern the people. I've prayed this many times on your behalf. He's doing it. Yeah. You know what I found out? I found out that God accepted that offering because it's what I had at the time, but I've got something that's a, it's an even better revelation for you tonight. Come on. It's what he's doing inside of me. And it's what he's going to do inside of you. See, Solomon didn't appoint himself to the kingship. His father was chosen. He was chosen. There was nothing self-directed about this. The integrity of Solomon's heart is that while he is asleep, while he's asleep, he's making a request and he's responding to God. God is almost like a Jeremiah 33 saying, call to me and, and I'll answer and give you. Deep and secret things that you did not know. Unsearchable things. Solomon is not focused on his lack and what he doesn't have. He is focused on a willingness to achieve what God has put before him. As I've prayed this in the past, and God has heard me and he's helped me in so many ways, and it's been a, a request that's been, that's been honored by him because of a willingness I also realized that I've prayed this request many times because of just a fear of failure. Lord, I mean, it's LCM. I mean, I want to get this right. What I'm learning here is that Solomon in a dream, the reason that God honored this is because Solomon was never focused on what he did not have. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying tonight? Do we pray? No. We pray far too much about what you don't have, about what you think you need. Instead of saying, God, you have a purpose for my life and I need a discerning heart, not so that I won't look like a failure, not so that I even keep away from messing things up. God, I need a discerning heart because it's your people and I want you to help me to fulfill your will. Lord, it's about you. It's not about what I lack. You preaching to me, Pastor. I'm trying to give you a revelation that he just gave me. You're doing it, brother. We're getting it. When you focus on what you don't have, you might even say a request like this. I have to be awake to pray this. What I know that the Lord is doing inside of my heart as I get to a joyful willingness is this is becoming the cry of my heart without fear of failure. Without fear of messing something up. It's what, I, it's what needs to be inside of, of us so that we can achieve God's will. That is a very, your words may sound the same, but the integrity of your heart, something shifts on the inside. You're not focused on what you don't have. See, this willingness is really another term for us to have an integrity of heart. This joyful willingness that what we say is really what we mean. And it becomes actually pleasing to the Lord because it's from the innermost parts. 
God, you've desired truth in the innermost parts, not just from what I'm saying, not even from what I think I'm saying, but from where it comes down on the inside, Lord, that I'm trusting in you. Solomon's focus was on freely receiving from the throne so he could help and achieve God's purposes on the earth. This is what this entire process is about. The process of Numbers 8 that we've been talking about on Sundays. This entire process is leading you to be able to not only make the right request with your mouth, but have it come from a place of purity before the Lord, of joyful willingness, and it becomes a, your entire life becomes a pleasing sacrifice. Turn with us to Numbers 8. As we go to Numbers 8, don't you want to be like Solomon? Psalm 138 says he's exalted above all things, his name and his word. And we can develop the kind of conviction, the kind of tenacity of faith that says it does not matter what I don't have. The only thing that matters is what the Lord said. And if the Lord said that I will be the shepherd over Israel, then Lord, you're going to have to equip me. And we have to call out for that. And you know what? We can do that with a willingness and with a joy because we know the character of our father. We know that he gives good gifts. And what he's desiring from us is that we would joyfully, willingly give what we have and ask for what we do not. But never worry about what we don't have. Amen. From Numbers 8. Can we get that slide? This ought to be familiar to, it, to you. Oh, it yeah, it worked. <laughs> it's the hard work that you put in, Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> take them. Make them. Take a young bull with this grain offering and take the second young bull for a sin offering. That's two bulls. Two bulls, Michael. On Sunday, Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric took you through the two bull process. Bull number one, you bring joyfully, I mean willingly, an offering before the Lord. That is the first bull before you even get to atonement, is that you come joyfully, willingly, almost like he is drawing you to his throne. Then... Once you've come joyfully, willingly, this helps you to lead you to the second bull, the one that must be had for restoration, for atonement. The second bull is necessary for the sin offering, and that one is provided for you by the man of God. You didn't provide it by yourself. You didn't provide, the, you didn't provide for your atonement. What you did was that you responded joyfully, willingly to what the Lord had said. And that is what brought about your atonement. Amen. Now, we shouldn't look at this merely as a, as a checklist, as us Greek-minded Americans, uh, people who do way, much, way too much math, uh, like to do. We make a checklist. Let me, keep, let me stay on my schedule, check my calendar. Says the engineer. I'm, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I've been taken from among the people. Check. I am being made into a priest. Sprinkle, shave, clothe, check. I presented the mincha. I said that right. Mincha. Joyful, willing sacrifice. I did it, Lord, look at me. Check. The hata, the sin offering of atonement and restoration has been presented by the man of God. Check. I'm done. Let's go home. Two bulls. Glad that list is completed, right? Exactly. Thank you. No. This, like everything that is worth anything in the kingdom, is an ongoing, ever-increasing process. It is not a checklist. We don't grow with checklists. We grow with ever-increasing 
more difficult, more strenuous ways in which we can please the Lord. It's not a checklist to be endured today and if forgotten tomorrow. Rather, I can now be ever increasing, ever receiving, and ever giving with an, with an increasing, joyful, willing heart that stands fully complete in the restored nature that he provides. Amen. Come on, this is such an important message for us. Yeah. This is an important message. Turn with us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. Come on, I love the fact, I love what God is doing here at our midst. Man, he is raising us up. He's giving us words to advance. This is not a time to retreat. This is not a time for you to settle back or rock back. It's time for you to advance because the Lord, our God, is doing something special inside of individuals and inside of this group as a whole. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Come on. And so you became a model. I mean, not just a part-time model, but a full-time model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. See, having seen the display of God's power through Paul, Silas, and Timothy. By the way, those were the three authors of both books of Thessalonians. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You can look at it in verse 1. See, but far beyond just giving, having been given words, these men displayed God's power. They displayed the workings of the Holy Spirit. They displayed deep convictions, and it marked their lives. And those in Thessalonica, they didn't just mimic something. You know, like an external, like you're just going to wear the same thing. You're going to try to dress the same way or look the same way. They weren't mimicking it. They had imitated the lives of the men that they saw. They made it down internal and they made it a joyful willingness. How do you know that it was sincere? Because verse 6 says, in spite of severe suffering. If you're mimicking something, the second that you get to severe suffering, you're going to back away from that as quickly as possible. You know that you're beginning to imitate and it's something internal when you can go through the most intense suffering and still keep a smile on your face, a hop in your step, and a power that comes from the heavens. They received the message with a joyful willingness. That was what it says. The joy given by the Holy Spirit. And their lives began to ring out. They rang out the same sound, the same call that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had. And this happened. Does it say it on the screen or is it broken up in a weird way? Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. That's a strange formatting there. Praise God. We're so thankful. I'm joyfully willing to continue to look at this screen this way. Their lives began to ring out Come on. so that no discussion was needed. Come on. You ready? 
I mean, I mean, we're almost done here. We're in the last few minutes of what we got. So I don't need you checking out now. Are you ready for this? So this means that if you're constantly having to tell someone how, what, and what you really intended and what you really meant and what you really, that you are really willing, that means you're not. In case you couldn't finish the rest of that sentence inside of you. Every time that you feel the obligation to explain to someone how willing you really are, it's probably because you know internally that you're not as willing as you think. When people are really ringing out a joyful willingness, you know what happens? There's no discussion that's even needed about it. They moved from being a blessing they watched other men and they became something special in the area of Macedonia and Achaia. That's in verse 7. They became a model. Kind of like Justin Linton. I mean, a mo good looking model. Like before and after. I love it. It's great. Then, somebody say then. See, it doesn't stop there because as you continue in the process, the Lord's message then rang out not only in Macedonia and Achaia. It began to ring out, and their faith became known everywhere. See, when you have a life of a joyful, willing attitude in your sacrifice, you don't need to go around convincing everybody else. Do you know why? Because the power, the word of God, deep convictions, it so marks your life, they can't help but see it. As a matter of fact, they, other people start not liking it, but your faith is known everywhere. Does anybody in this house want to have a faith that's known everywhere? Yeah, yeah it starts with a joyful willingness. Amen. Man, Pastor, when I hear you say, not needing to enumerate my willingness, the things that I meant to do, that I, that I, I, I intended on getting to, it kind of stirs something up in me. It, it raises the hairs that needs to be shaved. When I discuss that uh, it's a sign that I'm really covering my feelings of being overwhelmed or oppressed, I'm not going to lie, it, makes, it, it kind of feels like a drag, like I'm dragging through the process. And I know I shouldn't be. It's like running through concrete with, with rubber boots on. And we learn, I'm learning that there's only one way to work out of this. One way to work out of this drudgery. It's Psalm 51. Psalm 51. When I repent from low living of self-determined sacrifices, when I repent of the fear of getting it wrong, when I repent of fretting about what I don't have instead of joyfully offering what I do have and call out to the Father for restoration, he joyfully, I say he joyfully, is in me giving me what I need to sustain a joyful and willing sacrifice. Psalm 51 says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Just in case you thought that when we talked about uh, not being willing, that, okay, man, I, well, I'm disqualified because I haven't been willing. Nope, nobody's disqualified here. And it doesn't excuse you from what is required to actually become willing. Can, can you all see some areas in which you have not been willingly and joyful, right? Absolutely. See it? Are you, you going to stay there? No. No, you don't get to stay there. Because the scripture says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take from me your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me, grant me a willing heart, a willing spirit to sustain me. 
Are you saying that he can cause you to recognize what you haven't been doing? And then and you cry out and he'll give you what you need oh, come to on. sustain you? Come on, cry out. So who's going to stay grumpy and frumpy? Nobody. We get to cry out to the Lord and receive exactly what we need to sustain us. Yeah. You know what borrow, you know what that creator is? It's borrow. It's from nothing. He's saying that he'll renew it, that he'll rebuild it, that he'll restore it. He'll turn me back to the joy that I had at first. David is a man who is demonstrating his understanding of this process. The sin that he was being, that was being atoned for, he had been restored from it and had a, it had a negative impact on his joyful willingness. This sin, you could tell that it was sapping away from his joy. But he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I need it again. I need to receive the joy of your salvation again. And you know that he did it because you can see the rest of his life. The joy of the Lord is my strength and a willing spirit will sustain me. Turn to Exodus 4. This, this joyful willingness that we receive from our father, it starts with what you have. Not what you don't. In Exodus 4, verse 1, Moses answered, Lord, what if they do not believe or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A staff. LCM, what's in your hand? What do you have? Not what do you not have. What do you have? Because you know what? When Moses got to work, when Moses started moving, that staff was enough. He saw wonders done with that staff. He, he split rocks with that staff. That staff w- was enough. And let me tell you, it wasn't about the staff. It was about the fact that God gave something to him that was enough for him to go and get the work done, to get the job done. We have to be willing with what we have. Let's bring it to the disciples. We're not going to turn there, but think about, think about Matthew 16. When Jesus' disciples are talking about bread. And he's saying, are you still so dull? This is not about bread. This is about that I can give you exactly what you need so that you can then go willingly distribute it to the people. LCM, you have been given something from the Father that is supernatural. Something that, something that literally changes lives. And he is calling you. He is inviting you to joyfully, willingly give of what he has already given. That is what the people need. And that is what you have. Turn with us for our final scripture of the evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to start in verse 18. Somebody say willing when you get there. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18 says this, all this is from God. (laughs) The fact that you can be a new creation, that the old can be gone, that the new has come, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. (laughs) You want to talk about being freely receiving so that you can freely give. There's a free gift that was given to us in the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 19, that God was reconciling the entirety of his creation to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
In verse 18, you're given the ministry of reconciliation. And by verse 19, you're freely receiving the message of reconciliation that you must give. Listen to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Man, you should understand that from your 12 gates. You should understand that you are therefore Christ's ambassador. Somebody say, I am his ambassador. He's freely given it to you. You didn't go to school for it. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to earn it. He freely gave it to you. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Church, you and I have been given so much You've been made into an ambassador of Christ. Not future tense. You've already been made in this. And he's making his appeal through us. He's making his appeal through you every time he directs you towards a sacrifice. Every time you're able to joyfully be willing at what he's requiring of you, he's making an appeal to the entirety of his creation. Those things that are in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth. He is making his appeal through you. Christ who was made to be sin for you. So that you might become the righteousness of God. What he did was for you. It was able to allow you to be transformed. This passage goes on to call you God's co-workers. Somebody say that's a gift. For you to be able to partner in the singular plan that God has for all of mankind. That should engender a joyful willingness in us. All the joyful willingness that you could ever need. So here's what we're going to do tonight at this altar. We're going to actually remove the discouragement and the despair. That some of us in this room are fighting with even today. By giving to the Lord all of what we do have. Not focusing on what we don't have. I know that that is so right for some of you in here. When you're focusing on what you don't have, you can never receive enough. You can never receive enough gifts. You can never receive enough finances. You can never receive enough blessing because you're always still focused on what you don't have. And somehow we go on time after time only focused on what we don't have. Man, if I had this, man, it just the day that I get married, it's all going to get better. Well, that really didn't fix what I'm bro- what's broken on the inside. So the day that I have a kid, it's going to get better. Nope, I need another one. How, I need a new house. We're going to crush despair and discouragement in this house tonight by giving to the Lord what we do have and not what we don't. Tonight at this altar, we're going to put to death self-determined sacrifices. Why can't I do this now, Lord? Generated from any other motive than what God has determined. And tonight at this altar, we're going to commit to freely give what we have received, trusting that as we do with a joyful, willing nature, our lives and our sacrifices become acceptable in his sight, and he is able to guard that through the generations. Stand with me to your feet as we begin to pray. Mighty God, we come before you right now. Lord, 
we want to have a joyful willingness involved in our hearts and our lives right now, God. Lord, a joyful willingness that does not focus on what we don't have, but rather we focus on what you have freely given to us, what we have freely received, and therefore we can freely give without entanglement, without obligation. Lord, work in your people tonight that we might joyfully, joyfully lay down our lives because it's all yours anyway. Our lives, our calling. Lord, get rid of the self-determined sacrifices. Get rid of the despair of what we don't have. Let us pledge our lives afresh to you now. In Jesus' name.